0: You're listening to Further Faster, in association with Montaigne, the podcast that asks ultra-athletes,
1: mountaineers and explorers the why and the how.
2: Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Further Faster, in association with Montaigne. This is the podcast that takes an in-depth dive into the lives of some of the world's best ultra-athletes, mountaineers and adventurers. To kick off this episode, we're talking to the ultra-runner and performance coach Marcus Scotney, who's just returned from running in Costa Rica.
0: There's a couple of days when we were up in the jungle, up high ridges, and you kind of get, come out of a jungle and you're running down like a, an open area, and the views are just absolutely stunning. And, and you just almost wanted to just stand and soak it in, but you're in the middle of a race and you're kind of like, oh, i just got to keep moving, got to keep moving. In
2: 2010, Marcus won the Glasgow to Edinburgh Ultra Marathon, setting a new course record. In 2012, Marcus won the Ultra Tour of the Peak District on his home turf. In 2014, he recorded wins in Turkey and set a new course record in the Spine Challenger. In 2016, he won the 246 mile Cape Wrath Ultra Multi-Stage Race in 8 days. And last year, he won one of the hardest Ultras in the world, the Dragon's Back Multi-Stage Race. He set a new course record. Oh, and that bloke you may have seen in Emmerdale, Coronation Street and Peaky Blinders, who looks a bit like Marcus Scotney? Well, it is Marcus Gottlieb. In this edition of Further Faster, we ask, where did it all go right for Marcus Gottlieb? But first, we're talking to Robert Polhammer, the race director for the Montane Yukon Arctic Ultra, which is just finished.
1: What makes it so special not, is not just the cold, it's also the, the vastness of the wilderness. You just feel very tiny when you're out there on your own. Here, Robert talks about the
2: unique challenges the Montaigne Yukon Arctic Ultra poses, and what it takes to succeed in this race. My name is Daniel Nielsen, and this is Further Faster. Listen in. Here I'm talking to Robert Pollhammer, and you're the race director of the Montaigne-Lucon Arctic Ultra. It's just come to an end. Um, I hear it was a cold one.
1: Yeah, it's been... Uh, we've had colder temperatures before, but um, it's the first time we had a, a constant um, minus 30 to minus 45 every single day. That was new to us. And what were the uh, particular challenges that the competitors uh, came across? Well, most of them are temperature-related. When it is this cold, then as one athlete put it, it it turns into a constant problem-solving exercise. You need to really be aware of yourself, your body, your gear, um, constantly check if everything's okay. Um, That's the main challenge.
2: Okay, and the... People
1: who take part. So just go over
2: the the format of the race first. Um, So it's the Montaigne Yukon Arctic Ultra. Is it
1: there's an ultra race, but there's also shorter versions and longer versions? That's right. right? We have a a marathon distance. We offer a 100-mile race uh, and a 300-mile race. And every two years, so uh, that the next one would be uh, in 2019, every two years we offer a 430-mile distance as well. And the disciplines that, that people can do are either running um, or mountain biking or cross-country ski. Okay. And do
2: the mountain bikers race against mountain bikers and runners race against runners? Or is is it kind of everyone everyone's in just to get, get well,
1: out of the other Well, we do have, you know, an, an overall result. Um, but then, of course, we, we, we may differentiate the, the disciplines. So there's a winner in the foot category uh, and so on. Um, and... Typically, the mountain bikers or fat bikers are the faster ones, um, followed by the runners and and cross country skiers. Um, usually, are a bit slower.
2: Okay, okay. Um, and when you're when you're racing in these cold temperatures, for example, if you're if you're running on foot, what 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 are the kind of what are the things that you need to be thinking about? What what are the things that or people may kind of you know need need to concentrate? Yeah, I
1: mean, on? again, it's 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 a lot of it is cold related. So um, you need to really um, make sure you hydrate well, even though it's cold, people need to drink uh, just as much or more uh, as they would in a desert. Um, You need to eat well um, because of the same reason. If you don't eat well, you're more likely to get hypothermia or frostbite. And you need to rest in time before you get in trouble um, you need to be able to handle your gear, um, your stove to, uh, to melt ice or snow. Uh, you may n- need to um, build a wood fire. So there's a little bit more to it than, than there is in, in most other um, ultra races. Um, there's more um, of an aspect on, on, on gear um, and, and strategy uh, and handling it all the right way. Okay, and What are the origins of the race? The origins are that that there used to be a similar event in Alaska that I participated in a long time ago Um, that event then for a couple of years uh, did not exist anymore and and I decided that I want to organize one myself I always have liked Canada um, looked at where there may be trails that could work and came across the Yukon Quest which is the world's uh, toughest sled dog race and we are using their trail for our race that's that's how it all got started okay okay so were you an ultra runner before yeah um not as accomplished there's a lot of the participants that actually now come to to the yukon but i've done a couple um and, and really got hooked like so many other people okay
2: and and when you, was it was it always cold races that attracted you when you well, were
1: well um Yes, but um, I also very early on, um, I was uh, I did the, the first edition of the Jungle Marathon in Brazil and afterwards was hired as race director for two years. So so I, I do like cold and hot, um, as long as it's a challenging environment, I guess, um, then I enjoy it.
2: And, and, and is that what appeals to you about organizing econ arts culture? Is it the, the, the extra challenge that the cold um,
1: yeah definitely i mean i i do think i'm more of a, a cold person I, I can handle the jungle after a bit of acclimatization but uh, i do prefer the cold um and i mean in general i think most organizers who to make who make a living or part of the living doing this they just enjoy to see the people uh come from all over the world and 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 manage the the challenges, and then uh, seeing them at the finish line—that's um, that's something very special, and, and I really enjoy that a lot.
2: And, and and what what do you think compels the the contestants to take part? What, what what is it? What is it? What what do they have that maybe other people don't in terms of yeah wanting to do a three hundred mile race? In minus 30. Well,
1: they definitely, of course, want to challenge themselves. Um, I, I think they are very aware of the fact that we all just have that one life to live, and they want to live it to the fullest. Um, they just want to see what they're capable of. They want to see different environments and if they can handle them. Um, and um, I think ultra runners, and not just in the Yukon, but in in, in general, just those events, they they. Give them a lot. They take a lot. You need to train hard and prepare, uh, and and sometimes it's also expensive. But in the end, that's what they they enjoy doing, and and they just uh, it gives them a lot of confidence um, and and joy and memories that that are more important than anything else.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a completely an environment that you it doesn't you don't come across very often, especially. Especially if you live in, live in Western Europe and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to get to those areas. Yeah, I
1: mean, sometimes. the, the, the um, Yukon, I mean, it, what makes it so special not, is not just the cold, it's also the, the vastness of the wilderness. You just feel very tiny <laughs> when you're out there on your own. Uh, and the the mountain Yukon Arctic Ultra is also a non-stop race. So um, it's not that you have a restart every day. You can be out there on your own. And not see anybody for days, except us on the at the checkpoints or crew checking on the trail. But you you can you know spend several nights out there on your own, and, and that um, is very interesting for um, for what happens to your mind. Then it's so it's it's a lot of not just about physical strength. It's also a lot about mental strength.
2: And what's the vetting process to to let somebody come in on the race? Well in, yeah, in
1: in general uh, of course ideally somebody's been to a similar race or comes from a cold climate or enjoys doing private tours in a cold uh, place uh, we've had people who are high altitude mountaineers um and uh, yeah they they so they've they've bring that experience we also now offer a an intensive survival course for anybody who does not already have the experience. Um, So people can actually get the experience prior to the race. Um, And and that's what we're looking at um, um, in in athletes who sign up.
0: What what, what
2: do
1: you think made the 2018 uh, race different from the others? Um, it mainly is the fact that um, the cold temperatures were with us every day. So let's say we had a year, I, I remember we had minus 57 degrees, um, so we, we had the cold before. But, um, but this year, it, we, we just didn't get a break and the athletes didn't get a break. Um, we weren't surprised that many of them had problems early on. That's usually what happens if it's cold Extremely cold from the start. The athletes just don't have that time to get used to it. Um, and, and then, yeah, we see frostbite uh, problems or other problems. Uh, so that didn't surprise us. It was just that it, then after day two and three, it just kept that cold. So consequently, we didn't see a lot of 300-mile finishers. Well, actually, we only saw saw one. <laughs> Um, we, we we had a, a bit of better uh, finisher rate. Congratulations yeah. to him or her. Jethro uh, de Decker, uh, who um, is actually um, from South Africa uh, and living in Singapore. So so much for you know you have to come from a from a cold place to succeed. He just uh, he he he's it's been his second time. Last year he um, had ankle problems and he learned some important lessons. And he came back and he just got it down to an art. I mean I was really impressed to to see him out there
2: and and do 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 you find that people kind of start off on the marathon and work their way up or will they throw themselves into one of the longer races some
1: people do Uh, some people do that um some people also come to volunteer to see what it's like and then they come back to compete um it it really depends there's no clear rule as to what the best way is but uh and we also have a lot of race veterans who just come back year after year after year because they just enjoy it so much
2: and have you started planning next years already are there any things that you've got in mind for no, race. we've
1: not started the planning uh, of next year's y- race yet. We typically announce it end of February, beginning of March, um, and, and that's going to happen again this year. Um, so once this uh, 2018 race is wrapped up um, and, and analyzed, uh, we will start to think about uh, next year. And that's exactly. when people can So apply. yeah, b- probably uh, beginning of March typically w- is when we would start taking applications.
2: Well, thank you, Robert. Thanks for your time. Um, It looks an amazing race. I've seen some of the photos there. And uh, yeah, congratulations on another successful... Thank you. (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) Massive thanks, Robert. You have to check out this race if you haven't had a look. Uh, Google it, you'll find it. It looks amazing. So now onto the main course. This is Marcus Scott. So welcome to the first... Further Faster Podcast, thank you very much for being the first headliner in, in in this series. The idea behind the podcast is we want to get to the bottom of what you do, why you do it, and hopefully maybe get a little bit of advice for mere mortals who are who are also listening like me. So you're a runner, an ultra athlete, a coach at Accelerate Performance in Sheffield, and a sometime actor, which we'll also <laughs> touch upon. But as we speak, you've just returned from costa rica and doing the coastal challenge so how how, how, how was that experience
0: hi well, thanks for giving me the opportunity to, to come on and kind of talk a little bit uh, costa rica was an uh, absolutely fabulous experience uh, it's, a, it's an amazing place i think i'm probably annoying people on social media because i keep posting pictures of running out there an uh, the amazing kind of sunshine and the heat that we had. humidity whilst in the uk we're suffering with the beast from the east and storm emma mm-hmm. um but, uh, yeah, I mean, I often say things like races, you know, they were stunning and kind of beyond my expectation, but it was. It was uh, an amazing race. Lots of different challenges in many different ways. Mm-hmm. But just to have an opportunity to go and some, run somewhere very different, okay. where all my races previously, majority majority have been in the UK, and then I've done the other race, you know, in Holland and Turkey. Yeah, Costa Rica was just such a different experience. Okay. Um and being able to do a multi day race in that environment as well because it is such different environments in the UK, yeah. And people are so friendly, and because it was such a small multi day race as well, you create such a wonderful community. Which I think what you know one of the great things about running is the communities it, it creates and develops, yeah. Uh, and that helps motivate and encourage each other along as well. So it was a wonderful supporting environment as well, yeah.
2: Yeah, so what were the main challenges or the, that you came across? Was it was it all down to the heat or was it the terrain?
0: I think it was a mixture of the two. So, yeah, the heat was you know, really, really high. I was fortunate for kind of four days before I flew out to get some kind of heat training at Sheffield Hallam University, where I got used to kind of just moving at 42 degrees and also seeing how that affected my body and my heart rate as well. So as a coach and as an athlete, I, you know, I train coach by heart rate. I think it's a really valuable tool because you can clearly see what's going on with the body.
2: Yeah.
0: And so when I got out there, you know, I was using my heart rate on for the first couple of days and seeing how that was responding. Um, but the heat was, yeah, it was, it was completely ramped up to kind of beyond what you expect and right. in some ways it becomes part of that mental battle which you kind of experience a lot of running is you know how you mentally deal with it do you yeah. kind of let it do something which is completely controls your your running or do you just kind of go yeah this is hot I just ease back a little bit and um, I yeah. can't go at 100% what I normally would yeah. so the heat and humidity as well so because the race started early in the morning to try and avoid a lot of high heat, so we started at like 5.30 as soon as it got light, mm-hmm. the humidity was really high then. I'm okay. um, running in high humidity, it's very different to the heat, because it just saps the, the kind of the amount of oxygen you can get in, and really kind of feels like it's sapping energy from you. Yeah. My um, first experience in the heat chamber, I almost kind of said it felt like a shield around me, it you know, like you just work against this invisible force almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, So how you And then, yeah, and then the trail was so different um, in some respects to what I'm used to running. I'm running through jungle. Yeah, Um, it's a
2: far cry from the Pete district. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm lucky though in some ways I used to do a lot of orienteering as a teenager. Okay. So running through pathless bits of forest (laughs) I kind of was used to. So in some ways it felt a bit like I was orienteering again, but you know, it was just spectacular. You're running through these tiny little footpaths, but it's a single track mm-hmm. in the jungle. And the noise around you as well was just totally different than what I've experienced. So the, the, the cicadas were just, I mean, if I'd taken some kind of probably noise monitor, I think they were probably above what <laughs> we kind of legally around in the UK. Right. Okay. They were deafening. I, th- I remember on day one running along and thinking, Somebody's got a really noisy generator.
2: <laughs> right. Um, and it's following you around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just a huge kind of buzzing. Um, <laughs> but it's just a car. Don't worry, don't worry. Um, and uh, it just, yeah, un- unbelievable kind of noise. Um, and so that just added to the experience as well. Sure. Unfortunately, I didn't see any the wildlife.
2: Right. Because um, you were running too fast.
0: Yeah, well, that's a <laughs> running too fast. So, I don't don't kind of like people, they're quite scared. So people, some people saw sloths up in the trees, Somebody saw a snake. I heard monkeys. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, I didn't see any wildlife other than one of the camps where I saw monkeys up in the canopy.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And did the scenery and the environment and the noise and the difference, did that kind of push you on or was it a distraction?
0: In some ways, it's a, bit of a distraction because you want to kind of look at the view right, uh, <laughs> and soak it in. So There's a couple of days when we was up in the jungle, up on high ridges, and you kind of get come out of the jungle and you're running down like an a open area, and the views are just absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. And, and you just almost wanted to just stand and soak it in, but you're in the middle of a race and you're kind of like, oh, I just got to keep moving, got to keep moving. So, in, in some respects, you kind of you could kind have of spent a bit more time sure. and so. Like yeah, running on the beaches, um, you kind of almost wanted to just stand and take it in for a little bit, but yeah you, yeah, you know, you have to keep moving because you are in a race situation, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of just going going all the way back, were you a sporty kid? Were you always out running around? Um,
0: no, I hated PE, right? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I
2: completely uh,
0: well, I was. And I was never really into to sports until my PE teacher one day mentioned about orienteering.
2: He uh-huh.
0: said, Have you ever thought about doing orienteering? I, I mean, I, I was naturally active. I used to, one of the things I would say, I used to the morning and evening paper round on a BMX bike. Yeah. Yep. Which I think helped. I mean, you know, this is going back into the 80s uh-huh. when you used to have things such as paper rounds.
2: Sure. Um, how, old, how old are
0: you? <laughs> I'm 43 years 43, old. 43, okay,
2: okay. <laughs> I'm 41, <laughs> so I, I can relate. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I had BMX bikes. I didn't have any gears. Mm-hmm. It was before mountain bikes were invented sort of thing. I remember when mountain bikes kind of came out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I used to zoom around on this BMX bike and set myself silly challenges. But yeah, then I got introduced to orienteering. And um, it, to me, it was a, a kind of a safe way of having an adventure. Yeah. As, a, as, a, as a kid, I grew up watching Indiana Jones films and always wanted these kind of adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I was kind of a little bit obsessed by the Amazon as well and okay. wanted to go and explore the Amazon. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I wasn't in the kind of right... I don't know, there wasn't the opportunities. Uh, so for me, orienteering kind of felt a bit like a kind of going on a safe adventure.
2: Whereabouts yeah. in the country did you grow up?
0: Down near Bristol, okay. a little place called Forest Okay, which, which has to be said in that kind of way. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in my Somerset accent. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah, did a lot of origin and Forest of Dean, um, down, mm-hmm. kind of Gloucester, uh, and then kind of like that. Little bits on Dartmoor, but it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very it was a very safe way, but it kind of got me to you know learn how to use a map, sure, and to be able to navigate, which then led on to things like mountain marathons.
2: Yeah. Um, okay. which
0: to me was like the beginning of kind of ultra running in some ways. Yeah. But then I kind of progressed more into running. And it was only then when I worked out in Northern Ireland for one summer back in, um, so it would have been 95, mm-hmm. that I really embraced running, working out there. And I found I was quite useful at it. You okay. know, I had a good turn of speed. And I mean, I'm not a very big guy. I'm very slight and slim. Yeah, but I just kind had a natural kind of ability for it. And then when I came back to England, I just really embraced running. But I spent just a few years road running. Yeah, and chasing ten k times down in Leicester. Yeah, and then um, in fact, I, I, I kind of found a photo of what I took, to, and 20 years ago, so in 1998, I did my first proper foul race.
2: Right. Okay. Okay. And w- which one was that? So
0: that. Um, was um, over at Hayfield, uh, Mount Fannin.
2: Okay, okay. And how did you do? Um, I won. Did you? Okay. <laughs> Much to the annoyance of all your competitors.
0: <laughs> did
2: you? Did you feel like yeah, a bit I, of a an yeah. upstart who just oh, rolls yeah. in and wins?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I kind of used my my arrogant kind of road running yeah. technique, um, and, and I suppose it's something I. Like, there's an element where I think as a runner, as, especially as an elite runner, there's a fine line between becoming arrogant and having the right kind of mindset in some respects. Yeah. Um, and, and I think to be successful as, as a runner or to be able to achieve certain your goals, there has to be an element of, of, of arrogance in belief in yourself as well. Right. So this kind of belief in yourself can sometimes appear like being arrogant. Yeah. But I, I clearly remember standing on that start line and looking at, the other, the other runners, mainly the fellow runners, and um, my 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 thought was, right, who of these can run thirty-two minutes for ten k, yeah, which is what I was at the time was what I was kind of churning out. And mm-hmm. I looked at them and I kind of thought, I don't think there's anybody can do that. So that was the how I approached that race. But then yeah. Mount Family, and you start literally straight up a steep, hands on knee climb yeah. through these woodland, which was a bit of a shock to the system. But then once it flattened out, I managed to get the stride. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, and I think that kind of, that element of self-belief and arrogance it just, and because it's quite a vulnerable fellow race.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, do, is, is that is that kind of an attitude that you follow through into races these days? Is it that like a kind of, I guess it's a certain visualisation as well, isn't it? It's like, actually, I think this, I'm better than these guys. I think I can do this. I think I can, I think I can win. I know yeah. I can win.
0: Uh, but, Mental strength is so important in any level of running. In fact, in, in, in so many elements of life, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. That having that right mental strength. Um, and, and you really right with a bit of visualization as well. It is, it's so important. It's I mean, what I try and explore with a lot of my coaching clients as well is that that visualization. Yeah. Um, and there's an element where if you visualize yourself either winning a raise or being successful at a raise, um, visualizing yourself and how you cope with when it starts hurting. Then when it starts, that happens. You, you've already got that mindset and you can kind of deal with it a lot, a lot easier. So yeah, there is. Yeah, as arrogant as it as it sounds and egotistical. Yeah, I will often go into a race and um, we'll, we'll go with the attitude of, you know, yeah, I can do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um, even though sometimes you know that some of the other competitors have got quicker times or have achieved other results. But then that, that stands that self-belief, which again is so important mm-hmm. uh, in any kind of competition. Yeah. Um, and there's recently been a lot more kind of books on it, things like the chimp paradox.
2: Yeah,
0: the, the, the kind of, you know, That kind of belief in yourself and when you start having those negative thoughts, you, you put those negative thoughts to on one side, you don't allow them to dwell on it. So there, there is an element of, yeah, going into it and, some people say, well, it's easy because you've won something already, so you know how that feels. So yeah. you've got that self-belief, and how do you generate that if you haven't won anything or if you are cool. just an up-and-coming runner or you've nuked to the sport? Mm-hmm. But still, if you visualise yourself having a good time um, and, and being successful at the goal you've set, so if it's just a complete, so like an ultramarathon, that, that's your goal, and you visualise yourself how you know completing and how that's going to feel, then when you complete it, you get that rush of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you, you get the kind of the dopamine pathway being built in the brain to kind of how it feels. Yeah. So it's, it's success builds on
2: success. Okay. Which, and, um, and do you train your mind? Do you do you train yourself to think like this? Is it, um is, is it kind of constant reassurance over many years for some people? I mean, I guess some people can just pick it up straight away, like you probably did. <laughs> but, but do <laughs> like, some other people kind of, you know, can you? Yeah. You have to learn it, don't you?
0: you? You do definitely have to learn it. And, then, and again, it's like with any kind of training, you know, like when you when you start doing any kind of sport or activity, you, you know, you you build gradually into it and, and the more and more you train, and the more and more you're, you're consistent with any kind of training and it, it makes a difference. So I think with my running, and because I train so much my own, um, that gives me time to think. And um, I thought, yeah, when I'm running, it's... It's a Really good opportunity, I find, just to reflect and to, to think and, and to process. And a lot of times, I am visualising myself in a race, mm-hmm. okay, um, and or, you know, especially a race coming up, and visualising, you know, what a certain section is going to be like, um, how it's going to feel to be in that position at the time, or you know, to be leading the race, or if I'm behind somebody. Um, like I say, with Costa Rica, one of the things I was doing was constantly visualising how hot it was going to feel. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't know how well I was going to do out there because it's such a competitive field. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was kind of still visualising myself running, you know, against like yeah. likes of Tim Olsen like, and Mark McWardy and Hayden Hooks. Yeah. Um, but it's also like, yeah, how hot is it going to feel? How is that going to feel on my body? Mm-hmm. And how is my body going to feel in that heat? So right. I do a lot of kind of visualisation. Um, and then I've also kind of got recently, I've kind of been able to almost kind of put into words some of the practices I've been doing because of some of the research into coaching I've been doing. Right. And I've come across things like flow technique.
2: Okay. okay. Explain um, a bit more about this.
0: Which is, almost, which is almost a bit like a mindfulness technique okay. um, developed by um, a Czech doctor, Mike Chickmerhead. And um, it's something which naturally happens. And so it's when you get into this state of mindset where everything else kind of disappears. Um, so like time almost seems to to kind of dissolve away yeah, and you find yourself coming back from a run and you're almost like, why well, have I just been out for like a 40-minute run or a, or a two-hour run or a three-hour run? Uh-huh. Uh,
2: and
0: it, because your mind is is not focusing so much on the task you're doing, but you're just in this complete state of flow. Right. Do, do you meditate as well? I'm still doing a bit more meditation, yeah. It, it's something I keep exploring and um, actually kind of reflecting back, so going back to kind of like in the night when I was in my early 20s, I... Explored a bit of buddhism uh-huh. um and kind of all, you know i found that kind of being in your headspace so important yeah and, yeah and i think in the last kind of 15 20 years when there's been a big increase in mindfulness and people trying to deal with mental health illnesses yeah then yeah i've explored more and there's outcomes of you know having had periods of depression my life as well right finding that you know Running has always been something that's helped me through those, and then that's because there's also an opportunity to have that time to meditate. And yeah, I find running incredibly meditative yeah. because of your, you yeah, know, you know, it's almost you are disconnecting in certain ways from things around you. Yeah, and um,
2: and especially off road when you're, you 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 you're having to be in the moment, which is one of the sort of the the ideas of meditation is it is kind of yeah accepting where you are in the moment and then dealing with that in a way that's non-reactive i guess
0: that's it so I, i'm really fortunate kind of living in the beat district living in the countryside that all my running is done on trails off road yeah so i am surrounded by kind of by nature it's incredibly organic mm-hmm. and yeah you're having to deal with what's happening there and then i'm not having to, to stress about emails coming in or phone calls yeah. um, there's that complete disconnection and the, then you're also having to worry about what the trails throwing at you Sure. You know, responding to that So it's not like kind of running on the road mm-hmm. where you've got cars and noise and yeah. so much going going on around you. Yeah. So yeah, I think that I'm very fortunate. But I still think if you've got places to run, you know, in cities where you can still escape from places. Yeah. Yeah. But then you can still find that being in that moment of now.
2: Yeah, sure. And
0: um so do you when you're
2: when you're racing, do you expect to have moments where you think this is rubbish i don't want to do it anymore do you know you do Do you accept them can you see them coming and then you come you overcome them do do you Uh, recognize it in yourself because we all go through that stage of actually this is not fun (laughs) why uh, am i doing this
0: yeah yeah no there's definite moments in in every reason i mean I, i have yeah, DNF a couple of times in races because it's just gone completely horribly wrong. So you yeah, know, DNF did not finish. Yeah. Um, because I've either screwed my pacing up, uh, messed my nutrition up, or I've gone into the race slightly injured. Yeah. When I shouldn't when I should have been injured, you know, when I shouldn't have not even got to the start line. Mm-hmm. But you kinda of like, No, I need to get you know, I need to do this race without kind of kind of walk thinking that we've mm-hmm. got to do this race. Um, yeah. so so yeah, so that, that's how many times, and you know, in races, as I say, in ultra you, you're always going to hit some sort of low point.
2: Yeah, okay.
0: You know, you're always going to hit a point where, you know, you either have like a dip in glycogen or, you, you know, you, you're just hitting that kind of complete limit. But that's often the, the cause of it is, you know, you're running out of energy, you're, okay. you're getting dehydrated. Yeah. So if you can keep the fuel coming in, you don't tend to have a dip. And then if you also, if you get your pacing right as well, which isn't, I always kind of, Talk to people about you know making sure that you, you pace the races right. That's yeah. absolutely crucial. Um, so if you go off too quick, uh, you can sometimes just not not get it back. You know and then you're going to hit a wall. You're going to fatigue. Mm-hmm. So I remember out, out in Costa Rica because it was so hot and you were just, we were just burning glycogen. We weren't burning fat. Mm-hmm. Um, every so often, like it's sun- about three hours, I'd start suddenly having this big dip and I just had to get fuel back in, or I'd be running along and an hour, you know, suddenly start feeling a dip happening. Yeah. And it was just, like, I need to get some fuel in. I need to keep watering. I see. So if you keep on top of nutrition, you don't tend to get such big, big crashes. But then there's times where, you know, your legs maybe, you know, muscles are overworked because you've working a bit too hard. You've not quite got the training right. So you suddenly get a bit of cramp kicking in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, those are the moments where, yeah, it can almost become a bit despairing. But then I also think because those are the moments where. They're unexpected. Ca- Maybe. Yeah, they're unexpected. They kind of come out of the blue. But then that's where it's always good to have that bit of reflection of like, right, well, actually, I'm I'm out here either doing a race and we're beautiful, or you know, I've come so far in the race, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: and I'm getting closer to the finish, mm-hmm. um and, and you know, I'm possibly going to finish it. So it's that still kind of looking at the positives of where you are rather than.
2: God,
0: this is awful, yes. what's
1: going
2: on. Sure. I and mean, it's times like in spying where, you know, you've got such horrible conditions Yeah. <laughs> again. <Yeah>. You. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, you can't look around and go, oh, but aren't oh, no, I looking be doing this because yeah. I'd rather yeah. be in a pub. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but
0: again, that's, you yeah, know, again, we're, you know, having the right care. Um,
2: mm-hmm. we'll, 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 we'll prove through it as well. Sure, sure, sure. Um, do you take risks? Or what, what would you say the biggest risk you've taken?
0: In running respect yeah. or...
2: Well, both, I guess. Running and running in life.
0: Running and life. <laughs> I don't think I can share all my risks <laughs> in, in such a short podcast. Um, I, I, I suppose part of, I am quite an impulsive person.
2: Okay. You go uh, two feet in, do you?
0: Yeah. And, and if I get an idea, i sometimes really my deep into it, which which can sometimes have a negative impact on other areas of life. But then other times that can be useful because it means that that one goal or one objective does get 100% focus. Yeah, yeah. Um, But then it means everything can sometimes fall by the wayside. But again, that's partly down to my kind of addictive personality I've got. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of gets in the way. I think with elements in in, in races that you always take a risk of I'm trying to push the pace, yeah, so it's kind of like, can I maintain this pace? It, you know it, am I going to be able to pull this off or is my body going to break down
2: yeah
0: um, and, and that, that's always a bit of a kind of a risk, and likewise with, with training when you're so for me, it's about trying to get good quality volume of training in
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and you're always running the risk if you put too much volume in, I'm going to be injured and break down
2: yeah. I mean, I mean, th- yeah. Th- th- this kind of leads on to another question about about balance of life. I mean, I, I guess the, the the nature the nature of ultra running is that you do have to put the the time the time in. You do have to be mm-hmm. kind of out on the out in the peaks or wherever running, <laughs> doing your stuff. And, and and that's a big that's a big sort of thing. I mean, I I, I think there are very few people who probably have their work life balance uh, completely nailed at all. But do you think that running is a positive. Can you t- can you turn the running into sort of a positive step? For, I, I for think, that balance, personally, yes. and I guess for life?
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I think any kind of, I mean, it's been proven exercise is really good for mental health. Yeah. I think any exercise which you can do on a regular basis is it's going to help you in all aspects of, of life. And I think running is something even kind of better for mental health as well. I think I'm a real advocate for that that kind of running, whatever level you do, whatever intensity yeah. um, and kind of duration, you know, if you're just doing you know, 20, 30 minutes a couple of times a week, it's going to help your mental health. That's been, been proven. There's some great books out there as well. you know Talking about kind of running mindfulness and yeah. dynamic running therapy by William Pullen is a really good book to look at as well.
2: Which one was that again, sorry?
0: Dynamic Running Therapy. Okay. Um, a really, really good book. Um, he's a psychiatrist down in London. And, um, you know, it just kind of opens up to how you can use running to kind of help with kind of depression, mm-hmm. kind of another mental health issues. Yeah. And, and so I think, yeah, running is is so important, but you then do have to make sure that it fits into a work-life balance. Yeah. Um, and as, as a coach, that's something I always kind of strive to make sure, oh, I hate the word strive, I should never use the word strive, but I always try and maintain that, you know, there has to be that perfect balance. Mm-hmm. that, you know, we talk about like a three-legged stool. Okay. And so you've got running, kind of family life, and then work.
2: Yeah,
0: And, and each one of those legs has to be equal length, otherwise the stool's going to fall over. Sure. And so as a coach, you know, I'm always working with clients to make sure that we've got the right balance. Yeah. Um, and not everybody's able to be able to put in kind of 12, 15 hours a week training. Some people only have five, six hours of time available. Yeah. You know, not everybody can get out and do a big kind of, three or five hours on, on mm. a Sunday because of family commitments. So you, you have to be, be creative with, with kind of running and, and schedule. And I think it's possible. I think if you've got a clear goal and a clear objective behind the running as well, that, that helps motivate you doing it as well. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. And when you start seeing the benefit, it helps in life as well. I think that's another motivator as well. Okay. Do, yeah. do, has your...
2: As as you've grown, you know, so personally and as as a runner, and frankly, you know, got a bit older. Do you do Do you think you um has that philosophy changed? Is it? I mean, there's constant learning, I'd imagine. But mm. did did were you manage? Did you manage to grasp onto these things at a fairly early stage in your running career?
0: I never really kind of respected how much it helped my mental health. Okay, uh, I always kind of recognized how it helped me deal with stressful situations. So when I first was properly running in Leicester, I used to work with autistic teenagers mm-hmm. um, in challenging behavior. And, and there were many a kind of a, a stressful day and kind of a, a frantic day dealing with kind of challenging behavior. And then I'd go out and do a really good kind of training run in the evening. Yeah. I a really good tempo run or a really good session. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I always saw so it as a good way of relieving stress. Yeah. And in some ways, it was, it was also kind of an identity for me. It was kind of the main thing. I, well, it's always been kind of who I am and what I've done in life. And yeah, yeah it, was, it was then it was kind of like this is a, a key part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And then as as I've got older and a bit more mature, I've I kind of also learned how to, to use my running in my life and to make sure that balance happens. I don't become a stress man if I miss training runs. I'm happy to take rest days and I also run a lot easier than I used to as well okay. um, so since switching over to heart rate four years ago I've not had any proper injuries other than like sprained ankles which what, you can't do anything about
2: What do you mean by swapping over to heart rate?
0: So previously I always used to train by pace okay, uh, and kind of feel so a lot of my training was done quite what class as high intensity
2: uh-huh.
0: uh, especially I used to run a lot on the roads because I just had this mindset that if I if I train fast, I'm going to be able to run fast.
2: Yeah.
0: But I was discovering doing like things like road 100Ks mm-hmm. that I would get to about 60K and just end up cramping massively mm-hmm. and then often not being able to finish. Where when I moved to down to the peaks and started working with the guys in Sheffield, I got switched over to heart rate training and started running a lot easier. And initially my fear was I'm going to get slower. Right. But then three years ago, I took 20 minutes off my 100k PB. Wow. Um, and, and I didn't cramp up to a 95k. And it was just a tiny, tiny bit of cramp. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Huh. So, yeah. And, I, you know, my times have just have got quicker mm-hmm. um, over, over the longer stuff. I'm, I probably can't knock out a 32 10k at the moment, but I'm not training like that. The last time I ran 10k, I think I ran about 34 minutes, right? Okay. Uh, which is still, you know, <laughs> It's uh, okay. <laughs> and it was, was off-road. Uh, so, but, you know, I don't okay. do a huge amount of, of speed work anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I still do kind of tempo runs um, yeah. and threshold runs, but the majority of my training is now what I call easy. Yeah. Do, like,
2: do, do, you, do you wish you could have gone back and told your younger self that this is the way to do it or I do you put it down to as this is all part of my learning
0: I think, Ryan? yeah yeah. I mean I don't really try, I try not to reflect too so much on the past because that, that's mm-hmm. done and, and dusted but yeah, yeah I mean I had looked at heart rate training years ago and, it, and it, I think part of it was like oh I'm going to end up running slower yeah. and I was training with quite a few fast guys my main training partner was a 29 minute 10k runner okay. and, and we were just absolutely bang out training, we were just destroy each other in training and then twice a year I'd have a serious Achilles injury right, yeah, yeah. or other some sort of injury and I never kind of correlated the two together but mm-hmm. yeah I think if I known a little bit and maybe slowed myself down then I could have got better results mm-hmm. early on especially 10 years ago when I first started ultra running sure. but then I don't you know I still had a great time with ultra races I was doing and mm-hmm. you know managed to qualify for GB on my first 100k mm-hmm. race so, yeah, I don't, I don't really regret, but it, it would be interesting to see where, what happened.
2: But yeah. I think I'm still being successful now, even at the right old age of 43. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess in, to, in, in ultra running as well, it's it, you know, you hear it's one of those things that you, you do mature into. You know, you don't, I mean, not <laughs> just a little bit older than me, but, it, you know, it, it's, it's something that you can keep getting better at. Do you think that's down to sort of, the sort of mental fortitude that you learn through maturity or is that just the nature of nature of ultra running?
0: I think it's a bit, bit of both actually. I think mean, they've always kind of said like marathon runners are better when you get into your thirties mm-hmm. uh, because uh, your body seems to go better with the endurance. And yeah. I remember when I was in my 20s and I wanted to start doing some along the races, a really good friend of mine who used to of climbing with, um, he was always more encouraging. You no, know, do shorter races, you can do the longer races when you get a bit older, yeah, um, which was quite a sensible advice in some some respects. But I think also, the older you get, you, you're, you definitely your mental fortitude does change, uh-huh. and you become a lot more. Um, well, I, I don't well, in my, myself, I, I feel a lot more kind of relaxed in who I am. Um, mm-hmm. and I think because of the journey you, you go through life. You can apply that into the running as well. So when things yeah. get harder, you kind of apply that fortitude. And also, I think you, you just you calm down a little bit. Yeah. So you're not going into an ultra and wanting to race it flat out right. like if you're a show race. You kind of bit like okay, this is this is a long journey. Yeah. I, I need to take my time over it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So that definitely does make a difference. Good.
2: Okay, uh, last couple of questions. Um, are there any sort of books, websites that you recommend to people who are getting into it or, you know, that can help people improve um, or just ones that you like, ones that you found helpful yourself?
0: Um, oh,
2: gosh. Now I'll put you on the spot.
0: I've <laughs> <laughs> got my book list ready.
2: <laughs> we'll, 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 s- s- send me a list, we'll put them in the programme notes. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no, i, I, I quite happily send it. So one of the books that I kind of read, recently was The Running Flow okay. by Mikey May. That, that, was, that was a fantastic book. Um, oh. I, I really like that. Um, of, of the running biographies I've read, one of the best ones I remember reading was Ghost Runner. Okay. Um, now, I can't remember who, who wrote it, but okay. it's about um, an, uh, a marathon runner over at Boxton. I can't remember the guy's name, but it's based on his run there. But um, it's a really quite sad book in some ways but he as a young child as a young teenager he did some boxing professional boxing
2: yeah john Tarrant. So he
0: got paid for his box john Tarrant, that's the one yes yeah. that's and, it john and the book Tarragut. and the book's by Will, um, bill
2: jones there we go thanks to the internet bill jones there we
0: go fantastic um and and um he isn't allowed to race He's not allowed wow. to be running. So he turns up at these marathons on the back of his brother, Noga, with a right. kind of like, <laughs> overcoat on. Yeah. Takes his overcoat off and then does his, does his race. <laughs> and um, it's just amazing the, the kind of struggle he has mm-hmm. against the kind of British Olympic Committee because he qualifies for Olympics. But he's just not allowed. And just because he's earned, like, Two pounds eighty, or a very small amount of money, at a boxing match once when he was sixteen.
2: Right, right. But
0: then he ends up going out to South Africa and does comrades, and um,
1: yeah, makes a name for himself out. And so he does have,
0: and he sets like a hundred mile record at one point as well. Wow, wow. Um, okay. And it's really, I mean, he trained really, really hard, uh, mm-hmm. trained at ridiculous level, but um, it's just yeah, uh, it's just a really inspiring. Mm-hmm. Story okay, um, okay, and I encourage Yeah, I, I kind of came across it and read it really well. Um, and then other running, but I mean, Scott Direct's books really good, yeah, and that uh, quite in, inspiring. I'm looking forward to his next installment coming out soon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, um, well, I actually found Born to Run quite an interesting read as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, Chris McDougall, and I know they're going to be turning it into a film shot if I can oh, really? do that. Um, but that's a good one. And then, um, is that why you're waiting for the phone to ring? Yeah. My agent's coming out. And then another the book I found really, really, useful but it, really hard to get hold of is Bruce Ford Dice's book Among the Comrades.
2: Okay, okay.
0: Um, that was almost a, a Bible for me for a while when I first had 100K running. Right, right And brilliant. my former coach, who was twice a 100K champion, she uh, lent me her copy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, and that's, that's a really good... I mean, there are so many running books out
2: there. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. Oh, is, that always, that's why it's always good to get a couple of recommendations. Yeah, uh, a, couple, the, the market, a couple of new and, ones for me, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's, um... What was it? Oh, I'm running science.
2: Okay. <laughs> As he leans over and picks one off the shelf. Yeah. Um I
0: mean Anderson. Okay. Um, which is a kind of updated version of kind
2: of law of running. Okay, okay. Looks a meaty tome. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a big proper science book. I mean, unfortunately, I did sports science years ago as well, so I kind of yeah. have a, a good understanding of what it's talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, I think with any running book, it's, you can get some really good ideas, yeah. um, especially like training. But then it's always good, I think, then to temper that with you know, chatting to other runners and other coaches.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Because it, it gives you more kind of a rounded understanding of, of the sport. Sure. And there's so many good kind of running biographies to kind of inspire you. Know, so if you're looking for that bit of inspiration, that want you, help, you know to yeah. give you some running ideas, yeah, then then you know they can be really really helpful and really useful. But, stuff. Uh, it's kind of just pick and choose as much. You want out there <laughs> yeah, that's a bit fantastic.
2: I um, oh, appreciate those. Um, okay, uh, last and probably the most important question. Um, mm-hmm. I heard you got a role in one of my favourite TV programs, Peaky Blinders. <laughs> <laughs> is this right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it keeps popping up. Yeah, I was in series three, Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yeah, it was my my third ever TV role with Peaky Blinders. Right.
2: And what? But... And how many more have there been? And is it something that you want to
0: move uh, move yeah, forward with? No, yeah, I, I do quite quite seriously actually now. Um, so that would be nearly three years ago. Uh-huh. Um, I got back into service as a, as a, as a child. Uh, mm-hmm. That was what I wanted to do. That was my, my really? main passion was acting. Okay. Um, and the whole way through school, which is why I was never interested in sport, <laughs> because it was like, I wanted <laughs> to be an actor. Uh, um, and like during my A-levels, I, I was smoking and drinking black coffee. I was a very pretentious
2: uh-huh. drama
0: student, really. <laughs> <laughs> Um, tried getting into drama school and was unsuccessful and I found it a really horrible experience so I kind of thought right I'm going to change and Mm -hmm. go into a different career which is why I ended up kind of studying sports science instead Mm -hmm. Um, and and doing outdoor work for a while but kind of three years ago a friend of ours was an art director and she got me on Houdini and Doyle just as a background extra
2: (laughs) and
0: I was like yes this is what I want to do this is it um, and then a couple of weeks later, I did Jericho, and then a week later, I got on PG Binders. Yeah. And uh, so I just started off doing kind of background work, sort little kind of extras, which then um, builds up to walk-on roles. Yeah. And then two years ago, I started getting more featured parts, so speaking parts. Right. And then um, last year was it? Well, I had kind of a couple of agents for the, the extra work that they put me forward for. Mm-hmm things for Amidale, been on Coronation Street. Right. And then last year, I got a proper agent and yeah. I've been doing a bit more work, but it's been a bit quieter and there's a couple of things happening there at the moment. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it, it's been quite interesting how the old running community has, well, the running community kind of latched on to, to, to my acting kind of thing maybe because it is such a kind of left turn of traffic lights <laughs> completely yeah you know it's completely opposite so you know there's me doing my, my running my coaching and the sports therapy which is what I kind of call the bread and butter yeah. and then now and again I get cool to go off and do some TV programme or some theatre like I was doing last year yeah uh,
1: wow but, yeah
0: uh, now, I, you know. It, Idea is what I'd rather be doing, but then I love my running
2: as well. I can never give that completely yeah. up. Sure, sure. I think we'll Listen. call this podcast Where Did It All Go Wrong for Marcus Scotney. <laughs> <laughs> World class ultra runner and TV star. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gone wrong. It's all sort of been the right. No, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's all gone
0: perfectly well. <laughs> yeah, it's
2: about just things happening. You know, things just fall into place. And, and again, this
0: is a kind of thing, like, I don't believe in fate, but you kind of create luck. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's that kind of right mindset. If you have that right mindset, you mm-hmm. don't see something as negative. You see something as, as a positive. Yeah. And even like being disqualified out in Costa Rica, uh-huh. as much as that initially was a huge negative and big disappointment. Yeah. It's still, it still is in some ways. There's still positives to take out from it. You know, I'm still out in Costa Rica. I mm-hmm. still have opportunities to race against some amazing American ultra runners, yeah. made lots of new friends, experienced in the country. So, again i think that's something with my mindset i always kind of look more positive rather than the, the, the negative yeah. so uh, it's, it's creating that positive in
2: every situation sure the boy done good <laughs> yeah thank you uh, well thank you so much for your time um just it's been really fascinating really interesting chat so we very much well,
0: thank you for the
2: opportunity hope i've not rambled on too much not at all not at all it's all all utterly fascinating um And yeah, we'll 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 put those books and recommendations in the notes, and let us know when we can next see you on the uh, on on the screen, and we'll, we'll stick that in as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. Yeah, i
0: have not done any TV for a while, unfortunately. No. <laughs>
2: I'm going to go back well, and watch Peaky Blinders.
0: Didn't spot me. It's a few pictures on Twitter of me Is playing there? the Russian Cossack. I played here. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Good role as well. <laughs> My I, I had a bigger beard as well. My beard was a lot bigger.
2: good stuff great thank you and there we have it marcus scotney thank you so much for talking to us really fascinating stuff there thanks also too to robert polhammer who's the race director of the montaigne yukon arctic culture a big thanks to terry stevenson and all the guys at montaigne and most of all thanks to you for listening tune in next month we've got an amazing guest lined up Listening.